I know most of you know this, just would encourage you um, on your way in to pick up one of these handouts. I always put the scriptures on here. And today especially, we're kind of following this conversation between Elijah and Obadiah, and I think there's things, so I don't always put everything on the screen, so this is the other way to follow along, or you could just have your, your Bible, um, but this is so that those who love to fill in the blanks, um, I know that's fun. Oscar Schindler was a wealthy German businessman who, whose intent was really to make money. And I, I know many of you probably saw the movie Schindler's List uh, back in the day. Many of us, us older folk, some of the younger people may not have had the chance to see it. It is definitely worth seeing to tell us his story. But um, Oscar Schindler was a, a German businessman during World War II who went into Poland with the intent of making a lot of money. You know, the war was happening, and so he, he saw business opportunities and his employees were almost completely Jewish. And some of them were, they were forced to be there. And so he, he slowly got to know them and found himself in a position he did not expect. He was able to help them. And in fact, as the movie goes on, there's a lot of tension between Schindler and the evil camp commandant. They eventually get, end up at a, at a camp. And he has this factory there. And the tension is between how, how could he, you know, end up protecting this, these Jewish people um, from all the things that the, the Nazis were planning. And it's an incredible story of how, how one man was able to make a huge difference because of the position he had been put in. And he, he found, in the end, he saved hundreds of people from being incinerated in that, that camp and, and sent them off into freedom. Today, we're, we're going to look at something in, in a little bit similar. Uh, one man who was put in a position where he could protect God's people from, from being put to death. And so, this is an unexpected turn in our, our series in Elijah. I don't know if, it, it's almost like watching a TV series where you have to recap each week. So in case you missed the last two weeks, here's what's going on. When, when Israel, the people of God, started to turn away from the one true God and begin to worship other gods like Baal and Asherah, and in fact, the king, King Ahab, had built a temple for Baal right in Israel. And so um, they're starting to worship these false gods God sends his prophet, his man, Elijah. And Elijah declares there will be a drought upon the land. No rain. And God is doing this to convey that it is not Baal who brings rain. It is the Lord alone who brings rain upon his people. And God wants to teach them to turn to him and trust in him. But Ahab, the king, had married Jezebel. She's from Canaan. She's a Canaanite from Phoenicia. And she brought, has brought into Israel her prophets and her gods that she wants to promote their worship. And so she is seeking now to kill the other prophets of the Lord and, and putting to death the, the, the Lord's prophets. And so that, it takes a very dark turn in this, this series. And that's where we're at 
with when we get to our passage. Begins in 18, chapter 18, so verses 1 and 2. Now God is ready to, to end, if we could keep moving on the, the screen, if we would. Um, at, if uh, we're ready to end the drought. It has been three and a half years that this drought has lasted. And God says to Elijah, now I'm ready to send rain again. And so you, you go announce that to Ahab so that he knows that it's, it's not, not what they're doing. It's, it's the Lord's decision that will end the rain. Now, it says in the third year, Jesus, when he described this, he talked about three and a half years. There's an easy way to reconcile that is that in the normal Middle East pattern, there was a normal six-month dry period followed by a six-month rainy period. So that if you take out three years of the rainy periods, you add up the time. It's not just three years, it's three and a half because of the normal dry period. So effectively, three and a half years with no rain. And this famine is very severe in Samaria, which is the capital of Israel at this point, northern Israel. And, and yet it affects all the nations around them. So there's, there's actually famine and drought all around this area. But God says to Elijah, it's time. Go seek out Ahab and, and announce it. And so, meanwhile, Ahab and Obadiah are trying to come up with a plan to deal with this. And so now we see the three characters. Ahab the king, who has been building temples for Baal. Elijah the prophet, who serves the Lord Yahweh. And now this new, new person, Obadiah. Now, there is an Obadiah prophet, but this is certainly not him. This would be Obadiah, the palace administrator. He is, in effect, the right-hand man of Ahab. He's the one he's going to, to, to use to enact his policies. The chief of staff. It's a key government position. And so we learn here that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Now, this doesn't mean he trembled when he thought about God. It means he honored God and feared disobeying God more than he feared Queen Jezebel and doing wrong. He would rather face whatever Jezebel would come up than to go against what God would have him do. And so he's in this key position, and so he is able to do something. He's able to secretly hide the prophets whom Jezebel is trying to put to death. And so he puts them in caves. He, you could tell he's an organizer, a planner. He, he actually puts them in two separate cave, cave areas so that if one gets discovered, the other might still have a chance. Make sure they get fed, that they, they get supplies there. And he has his like little underground railroad type system to protect the prophets of the Lord. In general, Christians are called to obey the law of the land. But when we are commanded to do wrong, to do evil, we are to obey God above that of the government. And that's what Obadiah is doing. We are to fear the Lord in the sense that he is the first one we answer to more than any earthly power. Amidst this drought, you can imagine anger is growing at, at 
anyone associated with the Lord, right? Like God's intent is to draw his people back, but can, just trying to imagine the situation. If you, if you were in Israel, like, and you were associated with Elijah and the other prophets of the Lord, people would start to be mad at you for the fact that they can't grow their crops, that their animals can't get water. And so fury is growing as this time goes on. And so that's leading to all the stuff that's happening. And Ahab and Obadiah, they got to come up with a plan. And it says they're going to go throughout the land looking for any springs of water. Maybe there's some plants and stuff so that they can find grass and somehow save the horses and mules. They're getting desperate. And so they go in two different directions. Notice how Obadiah is a very trusted servant for Ahab. It's like, it's the one guy he trusts that if they found, if he found water, he would, you know, let him know. So they go in two different directions. And while Ahab, or Obadiah is going one way, he come. it's then that Elijah meets him. Elijah is coming back from Phoenicia. God had actually hidden Ahab in another country outside of Israel during this time because of the, the, the growing anger. And when they meet, um, Obadiah, it says Obadiah, recognized him, fell on his face and said, is it you, my Lord Elijah? So notice the, the respect Obadiah shows to Elijah, calls him Lord. It's just kind of a honorific, like Mr. or, you know, like he's, it's, so he's showing him respect, refers to him as master. And it's a natural question. Where, where, where has Elijah been? Right? God had been hiding him. And the question, was he still alive? You know, people have been searching. And then I want you to think about, I, I put it on the screen. What is um, oh, Elijah's attitude towards Obadiah? How, how do you hear this, this verse? says, it is I, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here. Or is it maybe, it is I, go tell your Lord, Elijah's here. Is there some hostility or anger on the part of Elijah towards Obadiah? I mean, what should Elijah assume about Obadiah? I mean, Obadiah works for Ahab, right? He works for the king, the same one who's promoting Baal worship, the same one who's putting prophets to death. You got to assume that he's, he assumes Obadiah is, is on board, is complicit in whatever Ahab's doing. And I think you could tell that Obadiah picks up on that by the way he responds to Elijah. And he says, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? Right? Like, dude, you, you got to know what you're doing. This could get me killed. And, and then he explains. He explains why he's worried. He says, you know, Ahab has been searching for you for these three years all over the place. You know, what, you know we didn't know where you were at. And he, if, if someone found you... And if someone said they found you and then God whisks you away, then what, you know, I'm going to get killed. So I, you know, why are you doing this to me? See, while Elijah was eating DoorDash by Raven, you know, and having all you can eat pancakes with the widow and, and Zarephath, you know, they've been searching for him and Obadiah is rightfully worried. It's not an unreasonable fear. 
that, that, because God could whisk him away again. And then in verse 13, he explains, has it not been told, my Lord, what's going on? You know, Elijah, don't, you, you may not know something. I, I've been hiding these prophets from Jezebel. I know she's trying to kill them. So I've put them in a cave. And, and so Obadiah then explains to Elijah really the secret that has been going on this whole time. And finally, Elijah gets it. And so he reassures Obadiah and says, you know, okay, as, as the Lord of hosts lives, he gives an oath, right? As certainly as the Lord lives before for whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So, so Obadiah says, okay, I'll go tell Ahab. And he went to meet him. Um, so next week, we'll see the result of the big confrontation that's going to happen. But I've been thinking about Obadiah. He had a tough job. I wonder if the role he had was actually tougher than Elijah's role. Right? Because think of what he had to do. He, he, Elijah's task was to declare the truth, no matter how unpopular, which was not easy, and then separate himself from society in peer pressure. Obadiah was completely the opposite. He had to serve God right in the midst of, of an ungodly king and, and an evil queen and others who were hostile to the things of the Lord. He had to stay put and figure out how he would stay faithful to God amidst all the pressure, amidst the growing anger at the, the, the prophets of the Lord. God used Obadiah right in the midst of the false worship that was going on. Elijah's role was, was special. It was important. And, and for that reason, God had to pull him out of that situation, protect him. But God also had Obadiah. And who may have been more quiet in his faith, who likely did not, you know, speak up as much, not because he was a coward, but because he, he was serving God in a different way. And in fact, he was taking a huge risk. He was risking everything by going against Jezebel. And, and he stayed right where he was. I, I, as I was thinking about this, I came up with a, an analogy from literature. And can I, can I confess something? I really enjoy the Harry Potter books. So I know in, in some evangelical cir circles that that's... I, and so I, we watched all the movies, we read all the books, and I got I to tell you about one character in it that, if you don't know, his name is Severus Snape. And from the book one, he was under suspicion. He worked at Hogwarts school, but he was kind of like, oh yeah, he's up to bad stuff. He, was, he looked sneaky and evil, and uh, he was always in conflict with Harry Potter, the good guy. And, uh, and so all along, you're thinking he's going to turn out to, to be bad. And, that he, and then, of course, you find out he's working for Voldemort, the one who, who must not be named, the most evil of all the, the, the evil guys. And, and so you think, oh, yeah, he went to the, the wrong side. 
it is only at the very end of the seven, seventh book or the eighth movie, if you went the movie route, that you find out that all along, Severus Snape was, was still serving Dumbledore, was still serving what was good. And that even though he was at the right hand of, of Voldemort, he was actually working to protect the Hogwarts students from being the worst that the evil guy could do. And I think that's a great picture of what Obadiah is doing, right? He's staying at the right hand of Ahab and yet protecting um, the prophets as best he can. Can you think of other examples in Scripture where God put someone, one of his own, at the right hand of an ungodly king? David was the king. Daniel. Okay, David, you're right. Before he became king, he was at, at King Saul. Good point. I didn't think of that one. I was thinking of Esther in Persia. She's maybe not quite the right-hand man, but she, she was in a key position to protect her people. Daniel in Babylon, definitely. Joseph in Egypt, you know. You may even be able to think of contemporary examples, you know, like a, a, a vice president who's very vocal about his faith serving in an administration that, you know, of course I'm talking about Millard Fillmore, um, but, you know, you may think of other examples of, of when God had people placed in a position to do something for him in a difficult time. What do we do with this? What, what can we, t- other than knowing this is a nice story and it's good history, I, I think I want to look at these events from three different points of view. So first I want to do it from Elijah's. Because I, I think this is fascinating, but I also think this is, is important. God put this story in his word to teach us something. And, and when I was thinking about Elijah, he, here's the thought that came to me. As important as his work was, as, as much as it was directed by the Lord, Elijah was not the only way to stay faithful and to serve God. In fact, in truth, he kind of had a unique role. We don't necessarily would follow his example um, as normal people. Um, he had the role of confronting Ahab the king. He, had the, he then had the, the position of living and hiding outside the nation, um, being directly provided for by God. So he had the special, special role But I also think you sort of see the weakness of Elijah's, weakness of Elijah and and the difficulty of his role is that he also had a bit of pride mixed in. Elijah would say later, I am the only one left staying faithful to the Lord. I am the only one. And he was on his own. He was kind of doing that. And I wonder... If, if he had this tendency of looking down upon Obadiah, right? Even though Obadiah is being faithful to the Lord and even doing so courageously, and, and yet Elijah can't see it. He can only see what he's doing and measuring Obadiah's faithfulness by the way, the calling that Elijah had. And I would say that could be true for any Christian, right? We, the Lord often puts a calling on our heart, some role of service in God's kingdom, some way of, of, of making a difference and 
key things of staying faithful to God. And what can happen is we can begin to measure others by the calling we have received. We can end up looking down on other people and other Christians and saying, well, they're not doing what I'm doing, so obviously they're not a very good Christian, right? They're not feeding the homeless, or they're not, they're not witnessing enough, or they're not doing this for the church, or they're not, you know, the, 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 the casserole they make for the potluck is not as good as mine. You know, we, we can find little ways where, where we, we miss it. Um, Romans 14.4 says this, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Beware of judging others by the calling God has put upon you. I think even, I think of this as a pastor in regards to other churches or parachurches. There's times they don't, they don't do things the way I would do them, or they, they run their church differently. And yet I wonder, maybe God uses them for a certain kind of thing. I know some churches are better at reaching secular lost people, while other churches may be better at discipling people and helping teaching the truth. There was one particular church in my last area. They, 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 they were a biker church, right? They, they, they were... It was right along Interstate 70, and you would see it on the highway, and they were specifically trying to reach uh, bikers, motorcyclists. And I'm like, that's awesome, right? It's not what I'm going to do, but that's awesome. You know, not every church should do that. Um, but man, let, like God, God has different people for different roles. The second point of view I want to throw out is that of the, the hidden prophets, the others the ones that were staying faithful to the Lord and had to be a minority within Israel, right? Elijah left, but they stayed. They stayed in the thick of it. And for three years, they would have watched the shift among their neighbors and friends and family members. And maybe they felt this growing hostility towards the Lord, right? Why, why is the Lord not sending rain? Does he, is he, is he, is he a, uh, an angry God? Is he, you know, I, I'd rather believe in a God that's, that's kind and sends rain. You know what I mean? Imagine all the things they would have heard and how hard it would be to stay right in the midst of this and to see their friends and neighbors be drawn into Baal worship. Um, and they have to think through, well, how much do I speak up? Right? Do I... Do I go bold for Yahweh or do I try to persuade calmly? Do I use reasoned um, discourse to try to say, wait a second, you know, we, we've seen God do good things in the past. I would suggest that these hidden prophets represent our, uh, the majority, us, right? This is our situation, right? We see changes in the religious landscape of our culture, and, and we see friends and family maybe turning against the Lord, um, and yet we stay where we're at, right? He did not come to take us out of this world. He came that we might live in this world, just not be of it. And that's what Jesus said in, in his, his prayer to God to the Lord in, in John 17, before his crucifixion. J Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them, meaning his disciples, 
out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He says they are not of this world, meaning we don't belong to this world, um, but nevertheless, um, you need to sanctify them in your truth right within this world. Right? We're, not, we're not taken away from the world. We live in it, whatever direction it goes. And we stand for Christ in the midst of it. And I think it is vital that we be rooted and established in God's word so that when the winds of this culture blow one way, we're not moved by those winds. That we, we've solidified our, our, our knowledge of God and we know him and we, we know he's good. Um, and I have a bit of a, a, an analogy to things that are going on right now that, that got thinking about this. And in the current news is there was the, the draft opinion that was leaked about the idea that, that Roe might possibly be overturned. And Christians um, are hopeful because generally we, we've, Christians believe that God forms life in the womb, that it is he who gives life, and we should not be about taking that life away. So Christians have long resented Roe and, and its thing. And so, but, but we don't have any role in our life in this, these debates that take place at Supreme Court or even in the laws, you know, maybe we get to vote about things every so often. But, but what role do we have in being pro-life? What does being pro-life mean for us in day-to-day things? How can we be a part of this? And, and I was thinking about one thing that makes, uh, that our role is supporting women in being able to choose life. In the last 50 years, Christians have been building up crisis pregnancy centers. And we support Alpha as one of the, the ministries. So that, so that when a woman is in this tough position, because what, what are pro-lifers accused of? Well, you don't care about the woman. You, you don't care about her situation or difficulty. So how do we resist that? We create all these centers for, with services and support so that women are making a very tough decision. Um, there's other things we do. Christians service foster parents. I know some from this church have taken that role of taking in the kids no one else wants, of caring for them, of loving them, being good parents for them. Um, Christians have played key roles in adoption agencies. I know tons of believers who have either adopted and I know some who've, who've formed adoption agencies so that they can make sure that kids who are not wanted or have a place to say. We, we declare in so many ways that we do care. We still believe God gave life and we shouldn't take it away, but we do care about these tough decisions. One of the ministries we, we actually host in our building here is called Young Lives. And it's a ministry to teen moms that uh, teenage girls or young women who, who find themselves, it provides Christian mentors, uh, women who will support and, and help these girls along in their life. And so it's a separate ministry, but we let them use our building once a month when they meet. That's the kind of thing that we do, where the, the hidden prophets, the role is maybe not always to be the most vocal, yelly people. Like Elijah was yelly, right? He's, he's loud and, and bold, and not all of us are going to do that. But that doesn't mean we don't have a role in God's kingdom in these type of things. So, that's two. The third point of view was Obadiah's. The Lord placed Obadiah 
in this incredible position. I don't know how he ended up as the palace administrator, the right-hand man to, to Ahab, but because of that position, he was able to protect, to save the lives of these prophets. He was able to um, hold, you know, by doing that and make sure that when, when this time had passed that there would be people who could teach and, and proclaim the Lord. He was, he was playing a huge role. But man, he had to be smart. The, the verse that came to mind for Obadiah for me was what Jesus says in Matthew 10 to his disciples. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Right? Be smart. N know what's going on in the world around you, but don't compromise your principles. Right? Don't, don't do things the way the world does. Stay innocent as doves, but don't be stupid either. Wherever the Lord has placed you, where has the Lord placed you that you might be able to serve him in a way no one else can? Be awake to God's activity in your midst. Be on guard against the corrupting influence of this world. Be as innocent as doves. Here's a key thing that came to mind. Integrity is more important than winning. This world will say winning's what counts. Not for us. Staying true to God, staying true to the truth. Where Jesus says, remember, he says, sanctify them in your truth. Right? So integrity matters more than women. You may not be in a position like Elijah to declare God's wrath against all the wrong you see, but you may be able to follow the example of Obadiah. To stand up and protect others who face hostility from this world. Um, we can't save people, but we can point them to the one who can save them. And maybe God, the position God's placed you is in the life of someone who's, who doesn't know him. And, and you're the one person they'll talk to. And your gentle witness might be the thing that, that gets them to take a second look at Jesus when everyone else is turning away. Colossians 4, 5, I think this is my most often quoted verse. Walk in wisdom towards, the, towards outsiders, making the best use of every opportunity God gives you. So which of those three points of view strike you? Out of those three, which one fits your life right now? Which one speaks to you as far as what God might be saying to you this morning? I want to close with one story. It's another one maybe older Christians know because this has been a, a book that, that was very popular a while ago. And, um, but it's a real-life story about Casper Ten Boom as well as his two daughters, Corey and Betsy. Casper was a watchmaker in the Netherlands, a Dutch watchmaker. When the Nazis invaded, they, they began rounding up the Jews in, in the Netherlands. And so the Ten Booms, I mean, it's, he was an old man, old watchmaker. His two wives were, his two daughters were never married, older, older spinsters. Um, and, and they got drawn into this. It says in May 1942, a well-dressed woman came to the Ten Booms with a suitcase in hand and told them that she was a Jew. Her husband had been arrested several months earlier 
her son had gone into hiding and occupation authorities had recently visited her so she was afraid to go back. She heard that the ten booms had previously helped their Jewish neighbors, the, the veals, and asked if they could help her too. Casper readily agreed that she could stay with them, although the police headquarters was only half a block away. A devoted reader of the Old Testament, he knew that the Jews were the chosen people and told the woman, in this household, God's people are always welcome. They end up helping not only this woman, but many Jews, Jews found a, a hiding place in their house until they were able to be shuttled off and, and brought out of the country. In fact, they went into their humble little house and created a false room, a, a hiding place, a, and used, created a false wall so that, so that it could be hidden from the authorities. And, and when eventually they were discovered and arrested, the Jews inside that false room were actually, they had to wait like three or four days, but, but they weren't discovered. And they were uh, freed and, and, and rescued in the end. But all three of the ten booms were taken into custody. Only Corey came out to tell the story. And I think of Casper, this old man. No one would think much about him. What a great way to die. Wouldn't you rather, sorry, wouldn't you rather give your life to that than just die in your bed at peace? Wouldn't you rather give your life for something that matters? Let's be awake to where God has placed us. Father, we thank you that you are real and that even when we face difficult times, you are with us. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast. Lord, we know you are with us and you will sustain us as you did your servants Elijah and Obadiah. Lord, give us courage to walk with you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.